Roxanne! In honor of the Equalizer, what former child actor had an extreme on-screen sexualization you were not ready for? I'm Katie Rich, and Alexandra Daddario was in Percy Jackson before she was just a set of boobs on True Detective, you monsters. Oh, me. <clears throat> Dave. <laughs> me? me? <clears throat> Dakota Fanning's Hound Dog. Oh, hey, it's me, Dave with the Seven, and I'm going to say Dakota Fanning's Hound Dog. Just not a good movie or a bold enough performance for that. Uh, I'm Joanna Robinson. I'm going to say Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Mysterious Skin because it was not just sexualization. It was molestation. It was all bad. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Nicola Peltz in Michael Bay's Transformers Age of Extinction. Not because M. Night Shyamalan's Last Airbender is sacred, but it was sacred to me, damn it. And I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with Kiernan Shipka in Mad Men, which you may know is not a film, but rather a TV show, but... Seeing her character come into its own after watching her grow up over the years has been uh, maybe my first dad experience. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 42 for Tuesday, September 30th, 2014. Hi, I'm back. There's five of us on this episode. That's exciting. And we have a new review, which is also exciting. And David's going to read it. This review is uh, titled Nice Podcast by Mr. Loiter, who says, uh, <laughs> sort of, sort of uh, retconning nice the good. history of the show, it's basically Joanna Robinson talking with a trio of male nerd reviewers. What more could you ask for? I'm still trying to figure out who is who. There's Dave with a number, other Dave, and host who rambles, and for some reason is not named Dave. Nice. Matt Patches. Uh, I'll try so this person has listened to exactly two episodes, basically. <laughs> well, you guys have already written, I've already been written out of the show. It's this incredible. Is uh, wow. I clearly, gone. clearly a new viewer, but one that we are no less happy to have aboard. Uh, we would love to uh, see your reviews. They're, they're very helpful for us in, in getting new listeners and climbing the charts on iTunes. So please go on iTunes and leave us a review, and we will read it on the show. Uh, and uh, especially if you insult Matt Patches. Yeah, and be embarrassed by it. I feel like I'm holding the Back to the Future photo, and half of us just faded out, and everything. Mostly changed. me. The rest yeah, of you, everyone gone. else is still on there. I'm gone. More people named now. Dave. This guy. Uh... I think people are just so shocked, like, when there are there's more than one woman on a show that they just conflate them. They're like, oh, they, it must be they, one woman. They assume woman. we're the same person. Yeah, that's true. That's Well, now we're blowing people's minds. Boom. <laughs> Last weekend, Emma Watson of Harry Potter fame sort of became famous on a new platform for delivering this speech on feminism at the UN as part of her goodwill ambassadorship for that August body. And then cue a couple days later the backlash of people tearing down Emma Watson's speech on feminism for it not being enough of whatever it is they wanted from her. And so my question, this is sort of outside the realm of film criticism, but to talk about a bit about celebrity culture, 
why it is that we are so intent on tearing down celebrities when they try to do something other than like stick blow up their nose and crash their cars. And so if anyone has any ideas on this speech itself or this this voracious culture that we live in, do we Describe care about Emma Watson? Yeah, this yeah, is, this I, is my I question. was completely who, oblivious who to this backlash. I was only privy to the uh, hoax of a blackmail threat about releasing nude photos of her. Well, uh, you uh, hopefully you were in tune with the the actual positive part of this. That I was. She's campaigning. I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking only about the negative fallout. She's campaigning for men to be nice to, to women. I think. He for so, she. Hashtag. He for she. Right, but then you get headlines like Emma, Emma Watson's feminism is not for everyone. Emma Watson's feminism as colonial, white privilege, uh, bad Woo! for men, bad for women, uh, you know, anti-transgender people. Like, it's... Um, it was a lot of people wanting to see more from her. And I don't want to give the whole she's just an actress, guys, you know, that's too condescending to Emma Watson. But she is like a, you know, sort of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed brown grad. Like, that's what this felt like to me. And, I, you know, once again, I just think it's can't we support her for doing something with her platform other than taking our money and saying thank you very much? Right, she's using the Harry Potter magic, if you will, in a positive way. But I mean, of course, you know, when you when you are someone of that prominence delivering a a speech that is, you know, inexplicably considered to be a hot a hot button issue, (laughs) you know, basic basic rights and respect for for women uh, should by no means be considered the sort of provocative issue that it it seems to be. But I mean, of course, the people who have dumbass things to say about it are going to have their voices heard. Uh, but I think that, it, you know, it's ridiculous to say that, uh, you know, and not in a way that infringes on the validity of our arguments, I mean, which, of course, you know, are recognizing a very real problem. But I think when it comes to the Internet's response and you see, um, you know, a handful of articles that are, are you know, ri- ridiculous uh, getting all the attention, I think it's a disproportionate response to probably millions upon millions of people who were very proud of her message and, and you know, inspired to support the cause. Um, but when pop culture takes bigger strides, does does Emma Watson have to take a bigger stride here? I mean, is it like taking baby step, steps at a time when other aspects of culture are propelling forward at a faster rate when things should be acknowledged? Kind of to play devil's advocate here. But well, uh, I mean, Joanna how- mentioned in our pre-podcast rambling uh, about tra- uh, Transparent, the Amazon show, and everything that's happening with Orange is the New Black. You know, it's bringing trans issues into the mainstream, if you will. And, I mean, is that an oversight on Emma Watson's part in some way? Well, how valid are the claims that her campaign is transphobic? I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm checking in on this stuff after a while away. Like, is it really transphobic? Is it really it's not transphobic? Trans or is it just it's, it's using just, women in a general It's just because she didn't that, men- specifically right. mention anyone, you know, trans at all. Um, but she wasn't... Like it's there's nothing transphobic in her language. It's just so she's she's talking about people who identify as women, not specifically saying some people who identify as women who are not born a woman. Right, exactly. And I mean, the, the thing is, it feels very. I mean, what I my feeling is that we can praise Beyonce for using her platform of the VMAs um, to broadcast the word feminist behind her. We can be really excited when Laverne Cox is on the cover of Time magazine. And we can be excited that Hermione Granger is giving a speech on feminism at the UN that, that is effective to a lot of young minds where this baseline concept of feminism is still not a given for a lot of people. Yeah. 
And that's that's something that I think uh, maybe some people who wish the conversation had been advanced a bit further by Emma Watson don't understand, which is that I agree that it seems so basic what she said, but when you have something like the campaign Women Against Feminism, which has huge following, weirdly, this is still a battle that's not yet won. And so I just... But, but the, how, when I is the like battle the progress, won? When does it actually the, need to the, become more specific? I mean, if pop culture is becoming more specific, shouldn't the nuance in this conversation be there? Shouldn't she make all of these points? And, I mean, she is a young person growing up with all this media. She should be in tune with that. But not I think to say that her remarks were off-base. They're certainly not transphobic, the, but I don't they think need any of this is the, the point. I think far too much emphasis is being placed on her to begin with. I mean, she is Emma Watson is not going to get on a podium at the UN and and uh, single-handedly advance fem- feminism <laughs> and cure misogyny. She her role with her 14 million Twitter followers and hundreds of millions of people who recognize her and the microphone that she's given is to spark thoughts, nascent you know thoughts of of respect and and equality amongst people who may not be hip to such ideas or may really just never even have considered them. And that's what the hashtag, uh, which is really the thrust of what she was doing, this whole campaign around it, is built on. Because the feminist movement is going to be fortified uh, in micro moments that, that but happen do you think that Do you think that and she so, would do more good in her, uh, in her day job, perhaps, if she made a movie about this or if she performed about something like this in no. a play? No, because I, or... I think what she and Beyonce have done is changed a word using their celebrity have made a word cool that was stigmatized and it still has a stigma yeah it still is but they are making strides towards making feminism cool because oh look hermione and beyonce think it's cool but she didn't make it cool she made a speech Beyonce made it cool because she sang a song in front of it at the VMAs and she blew it up with like neon lights and explosions. I thought Emma Watson's speech was pretty cool. No, no, I, Emma Watson's. Look, I'm I'm not saying that. Right, you're trying to give her even more credit than cool, is what why, you're saying. Yeah, why do you hate women so much? It's, yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is a lot to take I'm in. The devil. I, I, I mean, I, I think that it's a non-starter an argument for me whether or not it would be more effective for her to to you know be in uh, a play or a film or something that advances this message i mean hopefully all of her portrayals should not be doing anything to actively uh retard her her you know advancement of feminism but i think you can't charge people money if you want actual change you have to get up there and and make it accessible and and make it global and i think you know it's it's hugely symbolic to be yeah, doing it in the bastion of that. power she, I mean, that is today the UN. with youtube and web series i mean she could use the media what is cooler is than, than like 20 something year old woman going into the un which is full of all these crusty old men and just like I was going to say lay in some heat, which is a euphemism for shitting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, for, yes. Yeah. For, for just, you know, dropping some knowledge or whatever you want to call it. She laid uh, way more heat than uh, Leonardo DiCaprio did like, yeah, two days later. Yeah, commanding their so. respect. I thought it was. I thought His it was, beard was too big to make an impact. Really See, I didn't cool. even know Leonardo DiCaprio was there. That uh, that shows. Well, maybe if you didn't made. just bury your head in the sands of Istanbul. <laughs> yeah. I did. Uh, yeah, Katie, um, Leonardo DiCaprio gave a speech on, you know, global warming? Climate change. Question mark? No, no, we don't uh, use global warming. We say climate but, change. But all anyone could talk about was his, his revenant his beard. beard. And I missed you because it's Katie of this and I are playing a game. We've had a lot of beard this conversations. This horrible yeah, sexualization of, of men. When somebody goes up there to deliver a salient message about a crisis <laughs> in our world, all they can talk about are his looks, which it's upsetting. His beard and his man bun. That was um, it. 
Yeah. But shameful. I, I think Emma Watson is a rock star. I think that she uh, all all really that I've noticed about her, cared about her since the end of Harry Potter, uh, because it certainly hasn't been her film roles have uh, have been her dedication to social causes. Um, what you I, love the bling ring. I, oh, I do love the bling ring. My apologies. Uh, <laughs> but, on, uh, but she was just so good in that movie that she completely disappeared into the fabric of the film. And uh, She had some I, good moments in Noah when she's weeping for her babe. She did yeah. have good moments in Noah. Over, she over was great ruled. Noah. Overruled. Noah is a terrible movie, which we don't speak uh, of on this podcast. Uh, if you put it on your top ten of the year just to spite me, I will... I'm going to let everybody listening right now know that it is just despite me and not a reflection. You can't <laughs> undercut me already. Uh, I can't. Anyway, <laughs> I'm I'm pro Emma Watson. I think that if uh, more, We're all pro Emma more Watson. actresses took her lead, uh, we, you know, it wouldn't change the world necessarily, but it could start. Yeah, I, w- I, I want to say don't fear the backlash. The backlash is when we have to step up and engage with people. Her her job is to start that backlash and then take it with that beautiful smile. Uh. Nope, don't call her beautiful. She has other well, aspects of her beauty. not in the compliment I just gave her. He's talking about her brain smile. The I smile was talking of her about soul. her face smile. Right? There you go. I do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are all sexist. This has failed horribly. She's two women now on this podcast. <laughs> So Laika came out with a new movie called The Box Trolls that was reviewed on the Friday episode of this show. I recently got to see it and was absolutely delighted. Has everybody seen The Box Trolls at this point? Not, I have not. Not Katie. No surprise. Katie's only I seen know. real box cats, trolls in Cats of Istanbul. <laughs> Croatia is populated entirely by box trolls. I'm surprised you guys didn't know. <laughs> so it's interesting because it's not based on a pre-existing property and it has this very nice uh, stop motion sort of realistic look to it that looks very different from sort of CG I mean I don't want to trash talk the Lego movie because I like the Lego movie but it does sort of oh David did last okay good it does sort of irk me that it doesn't it looks stop motion but isn't I feel like that's sort of cheating like you might as well go for it especially the post credit scenes of the box trolls where they uh, sort of leave in the animator at a semi-transparency and you see just what uh, all those frames look like rolling together when they're not in one smooth motion uh, really impressed me. But it's sort of a handmade small movie that's vaguely about classism. And is this the antidote we needed to the horrible summer, we, or horrible end of summer, according to everybody? And maybe just horrible summer overall, depending on who you believe, that we've been having of sort of like franchise and reboots and sequels? Are, are, did, we get, did we get a good movie finally? I mean, after you. So it technically, technically is based on a book, but not based on a book 
in the way that Maze Runner Correct. is based on a book, which is sort of the closest analog that, that's now, out right why now. why are they different? Because Here Be Monsters, is it's not like a page-for-page page adaptation. It's sort of inspired by, and it's Here a- Be Monsters is not the juggernaut. It's like the kids have already read Maze Runner, and now they want to see Maze Runner on the screen, and it's not really giving them that much of a new story. Whereas it's inspired th- by, from, by Here Be Monsters in the same way that there will be blood is inspired by oil <laughs> you know it's like the same like recognizably the same universe if you squint but i think so right. so much of it has been distorted into something new they just sort of borrowed a kernel of, of it and then put it in the microwave and let it pop yeah, i forget about the, con- the pop, pop. Nice. connection yeah like maybe 10 minutes there's the whole like first act which i'm sure you guys talked about i'm so sorry to not listen to the review episode uh, has a whole portion that's not uh, based on dialogue. It's sort of mimed and with nonsense language. It's just like maybe the best time I had in the theater for a brief, like shot this 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 year. There was no downside to it. It was all joy. I don't I don't know. I, <laughs> I was worried that I was worried for joy. a second that I had stumbled into a triplets of Belleville moment where I didn't know that there was no dialogue uh. in a movie. That happened to me when I watched The Triplets of Belleville. I didn't know, which is a great film and lovely and enchanting, but I didn't know going in what it was. And so I was like, oh no, have I Triplets of Belleville myself again? Um, which is not the case. <laughs> is that what but, you're really responding to, though? So is it not, you're, you're talking about blockbuster fatigue and maybe adaptations that are Franchise too, fatigue, too yeah. Sorry, true. I don't mean to turn this into another review segment. No, no, no. I, what I'm interested in is if it's about a, if it's about craft versus the writing, the adaptation. Could ma- something like Maze Runner be a more strict adaptation and somehow have more of an identity and be more like the box trolls because we see the idiosyncratic hand of the person making it or the direction, like the approach. Uh, The box trolls, the vision for this film is very apparent in the way Dave was describing, the tangibility of these puppets and the world that they're creating kind of from the ground up, and we get to see that a little bit. They pull back that far. Um, Obviously, Maze Runner is not like that, but I think maybe two-thirds of Maze Runner is kind of like that, and that's why that excels. I don't think Maze Runner could ever be like that because what the studios wanted from Maze Runner was give the kids the book that they liked. That's what we want to see on the screen. And that's what you see in Hunger Games and Harry Potter and all of that. It's like, give the kids the book that they already like. And even when you have a Harry stronger vision... that way. Katie would be offended by that because Katie hates no, Harry Potter movies. I don't hate the Harry Potter movies, but I definitely <laughs> agree with Joanna that like the entire, the entire point of the existence of the Harry Potter movies is to give the kids what they like. Whereas it sounds like the box trolls, like... It has the source material, but they're not selling it based on that, which I think is the biggest difference. Like exactly. It's, it's whether or not that it exists as an adaptation to be marketed as such. And then you have the creative freedom to make something as unique as I felt like the box trolls right. was. Or, um, so even when you have someone like Alfonso Cuarón like taking on Harry Potter, he only can go so far in that structure. Whereas look what he did with, you know, the little princess. Like, you know, so when you take these YA franchises or these kids book franchises you're definitely just trying to replicate that experience on the screen and box trolls is like let's give you something really cool and different and hence any feeling so oh what i really like uh, about it is it sort of frees us up from the structure of what we would see in a franchise where it's like there's a hero and there's a vehicle you're supposed to buy and there's like some action figures you sort of feel like you want action figures of the box trolls but it never feels like that's dominating like a character like i don't feel like there's one box troll i liked more than the other because he got all the goofy cutaway shots 
like the Gremlins 2 cross-eyed Gremlin of this movie. It all sort of comes from this weird storytelling perspective where you were, I don't know, like the interesting thing about animated films, it's just like the hero's journey with design based on symmetry. And that's what I really like about Leica films is that they're not the hero's journey and none of their design is really based on symmetry. So it's hard to even categorize them with something like the new Ice Age that's just trying to throw you know a few jokes at you with some plot that you recognize which i guess would also be an example of franchise fatigue just an animation standpoint i'm i'm realizing i have no idea if this movie did well and i'm looking at the box office now and it it made about 17 million dollars and david you are kind of the like uh expert now that you've talked to travis oh yes dj cooley whatever his name is uh and uh, is that a success is this, uh, are we gonna I get am, the box trolls to scorch trial i or? have no idea but i, I can't <laughs> tell you uh yeah i don't think you're gonna see a like a sequel of any kind anytime soon no. but what I, what I can tell you is that my first question when i interviewed them and you can read my interview with the uh, like a people on littlewhitelies.com look at me setting you up uh or uh, that's not exactly it's just google it uh is is if uh if the box trolls were a box office disaster would like a survive because I was worried about you know what happened with Studio Ghibli when the wind rises, which actually performed very well, but still uh, the studio was in difficult times. And uh, Travis Knight was just like, yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't really be doing what we do if one movie could, you know, within reason. Of course, if the box trolls made literally zero dollars, they'd be in trouble. But you know, within reason, um, if it would put the studio in jeopardy and. Uh, it looks like there will probably be more Leica films in the future. I think $17 million for an opening weekend domestically against a $60 million budget. Things are probably going to shake out okay in the long run. And Denzel, you know, you can't beat him. That movie, The Equalizer, was too bad not to be a hit. It's, it's like, like, <laughs> Too bad well, to looking fail. At, looking at Paranorman, it opened to less than... It had $14 million and eventually made $56 million, which is kind of... I mean, I feel like that movie had an even smaller reception than Box Troll, so... Yeah. I mean, animated movies definitely stick around a long time. Yeah, and it'll, pl- it'll play well internationally. Um, it did make me miss Richard Ayoade as a comic presence in my life. He's so funny, and he does other things so well, but I want more of him being just really funny. So, Bring back Richard Ayoade and uh, go to Croatia to see all the box trolls. There you go. I thought they were in Cheeseburg. <laughs> we're gonna offend ev- all of our. I know our cheeseburgers. I, d- I deleted. I deleted my tweet quoting Katie because I thought it was offensive. This Friday, one of the most anticipated movies of the fall is opening. That would be David Fincher's adaptation of Gillian Flynn's, or is it Gillian Flynn's, uh, Gone Girl. And I guess the theme of this episode for me is backlash, because some of the backlash that I've seen around this particular project is a criticism of David Fincher choosing quote-unquote airport or airplane books to adapt, because he, the one he did before, was The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which uh, are popular beach reads, airplane reads, that sort of stuff. My contention is that airport airplane books make, actually can make fantastic films, and in fact, 
sort of gnarlier literary books often do not translate well to the screen. Uh, so we want to talk about Fincher, Gone Girl, Our Expectations, Adaptation, a really simple light topic, basically close yeah. out the podcast today. <laughs> would, so. you, would you equate airplane books with trash? Because I know our colleague David Ehrlich called huh? Gone Girl a trash masterpiece. But I did it and independent trash of... I did it independent <laughs> of the... Trasterpiece theater. Of the novel. I mean, I, I, I have not read the novel. Um, I don't... I, I do sort of automatically lump it in with, uh, you know, Walmart fiction, I'd say, more than airport thrillers. She's not Dean Koontz, but... Uh, I, the okay, movie it's the is same fucking the, thing. the movie. It is the same thing. Independent of of the book is very trashy, and I mean that in the best possible way. I mean, like I loved it. The you mean like pieces. pulpy? Uh, no, I mean like trashy in the way that like Maps of the Stars is trashy. I mean, it takes place in the fucking Ozarks. I mean, like these are all. I don't understand. The, the word the, trash is really loaded because it is. of its association with airport novels and that sort of thing. Well, I was going to say with, like, white trash. Um, but I... And what it means for genre fiction, perhaps. I, I, I don't really... Why, why did trash... Why did airport books start I, I getting such a bad rap? Well, <laughs> I didn't I have a know. problem calling this movie trashy because I thought that whatever your meaning of the word, however you see it, it would put people who hadn't seen the movie and read that in, I think, uh, beyond splitting hairs, the right frame of mind for seeing the film. Um, and I think that while David Fincher's aesthetic never, and we'll talk about this more in the review segment, never really allows it to feel like you know a John Waters film or anything like that, because uh, it's very severe and and there's like maybe one handheld shot in the movie. Um, I, you know, I think that by the time this movie's over, and you may not know what I'm talking about for the first half, uh, it gets I'd say trashy is is earned. But it is I agree with Patches that it's a very loaded term, but I'm not responsible. To, uh, <laughs> well, it also seems like I'm not responsible for my airport terms. novel. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I just feel like what the fuck do you think it means? <laughs> what what has been kind of lumped in with airport novels has changed over time, and yet we're still kind of using it as a catch-all phrase. I was at the airport last night. Uh, where so you have experience. Yes, I'm gazing <laughs> upon the airport novels. Senior airport novel correspondent, <laughs> Matt Patches. I'm here live from the uh, Oakland airport. Um, no, it's because it, a lot of people are going off about this, you know, that, that the airport novel, we're still lumping in things like, um, well, Game of Thrones was sitting on the shelf at the Oakland airport, and I should mention that. I don't know. I don't think anyone would call that trashy airport literature. Um, but I saw got, Where'd You Go Bernadette? It's a decent amount of trash, though. Did you read Where'd yeah, You Go Bernadette, uh, Joanna? Yeah, I mean, I, the other, if you don't call it an airport, you could call it a book club book, because... Here's here's what I would call it is these are the books that I s- would sell in stacks at the bookstore and any book that I sell in stacks I would almost feel this snobby backlash if I don't want to read it and usually when I came around to reading it like Time Traveler's Wife or Ugh. something like that I was usually kind of pleasantly surprised that it wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be this is not true of yeah. like the help but oftentimes you know I'll judge something because I sell stacks of it and I go it can't be that good if this many people like it which is a terrible attitude but it is my attitude and then eventually I'll read it and I'll go oh and that's how I felt about Gone Girl I resisted it for like two years before I finally read it well it just so, seems like a lot David. of like female driven literature books that become popular with women seem to fall into trash and airport well, novel. Yeah. no but then you've got like the da vinci code 
And well, Jack so I'm thinking like the, the Bourne Men books, Otis. right? All of Robert Yeah, Ludlum the Robert Ludlum stuff. Those are airport novels. Absolutely. Yeah. And yet but no one is going after those movies, I don't think. I, I think David Fincher adaptations. is... Uh, David Fincher is sort of the patron saint of what Joanna's talking about because he isn't adapting these... He's adapting these because he's sort of magnetized by their popularity, not necessarily the nature of their content that, um, you know, whatever, whatever genre they like have fall Kutcher, into. He loves to punk well, people. Uh... No, no, no. But I, I think that he, <laughs> he, his interests, which trend towards the the darker and more morbid, are. I, I think he finds a very. He, he's really intrigued when. Con- things that uh, tap into that darker side are also massively popular because of what it happens to say about uh, I think he sees it as sort of an in towards exploring these more hmm. morbid fascinations here's, in a way that people respond a, to and I think the last two uh, movies bear that out because they're so gratuitous well, no, 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 to no, begin no. with I I want, because... uh, David I think is close to something but you gotta I think add the word masculine in there he's into the most extreme masculine representation in pop literature at that point that's how you could bundle fight club in with girl with the dragon tattoo with gone girl but we can't bundle i yeah, I, I think that we're that we're cle- we're we're cutting this off at everything pre girl with the dragon tattoo well, but, i think uh, looking at but, just the last few films well, as a the thing couplet is that why 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 just because they aren't based on books because- well, no, but Fight Club was Fight Club never a, like popular. you know people. Someone was yeah. making the argument that the uh, Accidental Billionaires, which became the Social Network, was the trashiest thing that David Fincher had adapted, and maybe that's true. Uh, and, and you know, Fight Club was adapted from a novel, but Fight Club was not adapted from a popular novel at the time. And the Accidental Billionaires is not a novel at all. It, it is sort of uh, you know probe deeper into a, a sort right. of soap opera that we yeah. that we already were familiar with. But I think the last two films, I mean, these are intensely popular books that you see maybe the, uh, subway novels in my experience more than airport novels yeah. i see people pr- yeah. constantly reading the the Breeze. dragon tattoo uh books and and gone girl um but they're so they're so relentlessly grim and uh, these these books and i think that the fact that i think he's inspired by the fact that something that that stares into the that void like these things do. Yeah, it has become yeah. mo- five million copies sold. I think he immediately sparks the idea that there's something for him there. And I think that's why... Um, yeah, I, I, I think that... Yeah, anyway, go on. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what Joanna was getting at at the beginning of this segment, which I think is why probably why it appeals to Pincher too, is that these airport books, as opposed to, say, Cloud Atlas or infinite jester name your complex novel that gets adapted to the screen here is that they're simple they have a plot i mean gone girl has a very complicated and twisty plot but it's a plot and it moves forward and it's not as wrapped up with you know broader ideas it doesn't have really big metaphors Mm. in it like it's just it's kind of all there for you in the story and for someone like fincher who's like really crafting a lot with the visuals and who's trying to you know make it his own he can take this really straightforward plot which you know is this I mean, Fight Club in some ways has its own straightforward plot, and so does Zodiac, and make his own thing out of it. And I think that's a really smart attitude to have when you see adaptations of more complicated books that don't do that well, to take something that is 
drives forward on its plot and then therefore could translate better to a 90 minute movie or in Gone Girl's case. Like I, I always think movie. about um, The Emperor's Children. Did you ever read? Yeah, yeah. and that's Claire supposedly Misses. becoming a movie. No, I think you're talking point. about The Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh yeah, no, Mostly two, that. the sequel. No, so uh, <laughs> Claire Masood's The Emperor's Children was actually going to be a Noah Baumbach film for like five or yeah. six years. He was really trying to make that. Now it's going to be a Lake Bell film, which I think hmm. she's directing oh, Baumbach's right. script, maybe. Um, but I still don't really know how you make a movie about that. Um, well, maybe this that's is when where TV seems to come in, like yeah. that corrections pilot, which never took, and Olive Kitteridge, one of my favorite. Yeah, I was about to say Olive Kitteridge. I'm really excited for that to be a miniseries. I think miniseries is the exactly. appropriate approach for a certain. It doesn't kind lend itself book. at all to a movie, and I don't right. know if Emperor's Children really does because that's another. Like just characters sitting around thinking about life and and doing their mundane jobs and it's kind of these interlocking plots. How does that really work? And the what? one book that kind of straddles in between, actually, Katie, what you were talking about and something like Emperor's Children might be Da Vinci Code, which is just talking and looking at objects <laughs> and explaining history and that doesn't work in a movie thing. at all because there is no action to propel it. What what Fincher clings onto at these airport novels, quote unquote. Well, it makes me think about um, The Stand, which we talked about in the last episode that I was on, and something that we kind of all secretly wish could become a miniseries. And, in, I mean, Stephen King is kind of the king of the airport novels in a way, but The Stand is really antithetical to that. And that's probably why a lot of Stephen King movies have, a lot of Stephen King books have made really good movies, because they move forward in a straightforward yeah, well, way. Yeah, well, we had a really good... Or yeah, Jurassic Park, one of the best movies of well, all time, is an airport right. book. Well, but also has the yeah. like cool. Andromeda strain and Congo, and you could crighten it up all day at the movies if you wanted to yeah because it's like yeah the war- and at the airport i would crate it up at the movies all <laughs> I day think what we're calling <laughs> you know trash is actually just pop and it's like we're running into the same problem it, we're having the can you take ya seriously as a reader argument sort of now oh no but when i say when i say trash to describe gone girl i do not mean it in the same way as i do when i say trash to describe the Hunger Games, because The Hunger Games is is like the poverty, That's garbage. Of the party yeah, exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> Do you mean because Gone Girl the, explores like tabloid well, Wait a minute, wait. He hasn't read either of these books, or so like, what are we? No, I've read <laughs> I've read uh, a, a few chapters of. Uh huh. Yeah. Of the Hunger Games. He read the Amazon the, Kindle a, preview of Gone Girl. There's just a poverty <laughs> in the quality of the writing of the Hunger Games, which it's garbage. I think Patches makes a great distinction. I think the the Gone Girl because it's it's takes place in this sort of uh, it can be trashy without. Yeah, yeah it's it's garbage. this sort of pleather Douglas Sirkian world where with Nancy Grace characters and uh, you know this like. You know, this bobbling detective group. The and John Waters Tyler Perry is actually is a... really apt, I think, here yeah. in describing what trash is and why that can be a positive and why that can describe the DNA of a movie and why it's not garbage. It's not synonymous with that. But I think the problem with trash is that, um, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, and I'm, I'm curious what you all think about it being a pejorative um, that, that, chases, that chases female driven literature i think it's a female thing with gone girl um you know my my girlfriend michelle uh was uh, she raised her hands up in the air when she started people seeing people call gone girl a trashy airport novel because uh she thought about thomas harris yeah record with dave 
Um, and just about like, is Silence of the Lambs really different than Gone no. Girl? No one was. That's also um, an airport book. It yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. But there's something about it being chick lit too that seems to have people That's something kind that, of chasing that- it. Scott Mendelson, I saw Scott Mendelson of Forbes talking about where how much of this is because the last two titles have employed the word girl in them. Mm-hmm. Gone girl, girl with the dragon tattoo. I, think I don't know that about has that. something to do with it. Not to for lie. me, I think, is, I think it is too. From a bookseller point of view, it's so easy for me to identify an airport novel because they're the mass market. Like the publishers know what an airport novel is going to be. They they print a different book. They know what's going to be in. Thomas Harris is printed that way, you know, and so is Girl with Dragon Tattoo. So is Gone Girl. Like the publisher knows what they're producing. These easily digestible books, and I've seen them in both the male and the female genre. You might be right that snobbish people are more inclined to look down their noses at at the female driven side of it, but it does hit both both genders. No, definitely, but angle. like movies like Devil Wears Prada or Nanny Diaries arrive with lowered expectations or people with their knives out already and uh, I mean Devil Wears Prada is a really it's a pretty good movie. Uh not, Nanny Diaries not so much, but uh they have How to How dare you? <laughs> You don't like, na- I mean, you like Nanny Diaries? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. So nobody, nobody likes Nanny Diaries. No one, from not even ma- From Evans. the directors of American Splendor. That's it the seems like the, the in order for to make like a male-centric uh, movie and you're not being David Fincher, it's, it's kind of hard to think about what sort of narrative that you would adapt to like satiate your desire to have what I would assume be some sort of aggressive masculine action movie. Like... Well, I mean, Jack yeah, Reacher. you have like your spy tomes or your, you know, weird politics when Clancy doesn't go off the rails, which are things that are being turned into like film franchises. So I'm not sure. I'm not patches. I'm not sure if you're on to something or if you're just not used to what the female version of this looks like yet. Does that make sense? No, but it what is am, true wait, that people are more. Here? I'm, I'm confused. It's by that. true that people are more inclined to sneer at Bridges of Madison County than they are Born Identity. Both of right. which are airport or airport books. One of which is gendered male, one skewed female, um, and maybe it's because we expect less from an action movie, a Bourne movie, and not that we expect a lot from Bridges of Madison County, but Gone Girl. I mean, people are talking about Best Picture here, and that was never going to be the case yeah. with Bourne. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're right? talking about like emotional stakes between characters done cheaply then you're talking about a soap opera but if you're talking about action done cheaply then you're talking about you know like a, a summer uh, late august movie i still think that the problem is that people see trashiness as a pejorative i think that uh you know i i trash was the first word that popped to mind when i saw gone girl and i think it's one of the very best movies i've seen this year and and uh, it's really phenomenal but i think that uh you know it's and I would love for it to be a hit. I would love for it to. Well, I think it will be successful, but I would love for it to be sort of an Oscar contender if I dare get at all emotionally involved in that because I think that that world, the prestige world, and what people see as important quality filmmaking could always use an injection of trashiness. It could always, uh, I, you know, I, it's hard to speak to without spoiling what happens in Gone Girl, but. Uh, there are things that happen in this movie that you would not expect to see and something that would ever be in a best picture conversation. And so, uh, you know, I would, I would love for that to be 
to be the norm. I just don't think trashy is a is a bad thing. And if, if killing the rhetoric of airport novels, what we have to do to level the playing field, then yeah, I'm fine with that. It. Are you talking about like so? You're saying trash can be synonymous with garbage, but you're not saying that. You're saying like no lurid? garbage. Is that what you're saying? No, I know. Are you saying like lurid in terms of trash? Or how are you using uh, yes it? Yes and no. I mean, I use both those words in the same sentence to mean different things, lurid and trash. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, I, you know, when I when I use trash in a written context, it's really, as I said earlier, to put people in a certain frame of mind. Lurid might not. Um, I think lurid has a certain eroticism that trash Well, I mean, crass doesn't. is... Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of other words that... To crass describe, John garbage. Waters... Yeah, the John Waters version. I'm trying of to find trash. the word that's, that uh, says to me "trash," but with nuance. But I don't know what that is exactly. <laughs> like, is "perverse" a negative word? "Perverse" is probably the wrong word for "Gone Girl." I would. I like I "lurid." Well, David I mean, doesn't like "lurid." There's what also that's my editor. <laughs> it's, it, it is. It, it is difficult to uh, extricate trash from a sort of, at least at this point, from a socioeconomic element, um, and I think that. I'm a lot more inclined to call, you know, without without offending large swaths of, uh, you know, places in this country. I think purely on you know economic terms, whatever. There's there is a, um, and the movie the movie I'm going to say is responsible for this. The way the, the things that happen in the movie more than my judgment of them, but I think that if Gone Girl took place in, you know, Connecticut, it would probably not be. The trash would not be a word that comes up quite as frequently as it did if it took place in Missouri, which it does. Uh, and I think as the movie goes on and there are more and more uh, – there are locations that are lower and lower on the economic spectrum. I, I, it invites that. And the way that the, the way that the characters who live in those places embody those stereotypes but also uh, are Like Casey to get Wilson's by. character? Is that... What's Casey Wilson? <laughs> What's a Casey Wilson? What's she plays Casey like Casey Wilson? She... She plays Amy's best friend, like that character, the towny characters of in Is Missouri. It, wasn't that Betsy Brandt? No, no. She, they look similar, <laughs> but it's Casey Wilson. Oh, I could have swore. I am glad I didn't think the character was significant enough to mention in my review, or else I would have called her Betsy Brandt. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not thinking okay. of that character. Anyway, um, now that we've offended all of Croatia and all of Missouri, um, yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> no. I, I, I get what you're saying, David. I, I, I think that makes sense. And I'm, ex- I'm excited, and I hope that we all love Gone Girl as much as Well, you but do. I think it's also that part of the movie um, in the story between Amy and Nick is explicitly about the tension between Missouri and New York attitudes and, That's true. and yeah. where you come from. So I think that it, it, this is the movie is very consciously engaging with these things. Um, and I think the movie, if, if it were to call itself trash, were, would not be necessarily to uh, impugn those areas, but simply to identify what makes them different with their own qualities for better and worse than where I Amy wanna, comes I from. I want to start hearing David Ehrlich's weekly thoughts on what he thinks trash is this week, because I am <laughs> enthralled by this new term that you're defining for me, and I, I hope it applies to Gone Girl at this point. That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. As you might guess, we'll be reviewing Gone Girl on a review episode later this week. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. 
I am Matt Patches. I write all over the internet, and they try and put everything on mattpatches.com. And I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And uh, you can find Fighting in the War Room on their website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where we post every episode with review notes, and there's comments, and you can leave feedback or ask questions uh, for potential use in future episodes. And uh, do we have an LO page yet? I don't know. Uh, that's it. Fightingthewarm.com. You guys have to tell me what LO is. You were gone I, I for so long, Katie. You were gone for uh, so everything long. Everything changed. <laughs> we don't even uh, use currency anymore. There's no money. <laughs> Just box trolls. Cheese. <laughs> I am David Ehrlich. I'm the editor of large of Little White Lies magazine. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. And you can find all of us together on the Facebook. Or is it just Facebook? Because It's cleaner. That's cleaner. Uh, at Fighting in the War Room. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my name D-A-7-E on Twitter, but normally D-A-V-E-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-S. You can go to I Love Dave Gonzalez or I Hate Dave Gonzalez.com for all my writings for Forbes and Latina Review. And this week, I uh, cut the preteen horror television shows of Ryan Gosling to only include the Gosling for you. So, yeah, come to my website. It's where all the uncool kids are hanging out. My name is Joanna Robinson. I sort of want to create a website for Dave Gonzalez called Just the Gosling. Uh, you can find my work at VanityFair.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com or on Twitter at Katie Rich, A-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. I will no longer be posting photos of, of cats on the street. I'm sorry in advance. You can also follow the entire podcast on Twitter at FITWR, where you can answer this week's lightning round In question. honor of the which equalizer, was? which former child actor had an extreme on-screen sexualization you were not ready for? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. Thank you.